is The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On The Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. No, it's gallium nitride. That's correct. From my science in school, I've seen gallium and nitride. What is a nitride? Well, it's nitrogen. Nitrogen. So it's gallium and nitrogen. So, so you put them together. Put them together one of these. So what do you do? Go to the store and buy a bucket of gallium? Or what is it? Is it a metal? Is it? Well, no, they're both semi-exhibit semiconductor properties. Right. And when you join them together. So essentially you would use a, you would still use a silicon handle wafer. Uh-huh. Which is basically just a base. Okay. If you consider you're building a, a house. Uh-huh. So you would use silicon wafer as the foundation. Okay. Which basically does nothing, but yep. it makes everything strong. Everything All right. Strong. So it has no functional yeah. role as, as you build onto mm-hmm. that. Then you gradually grow. It's called epitaxial growth. So mm-hmm. you have a reactor, and you grow by atomic layer by atomic layer. Really? You grow the structure. You do this with tweezers? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we do this at very high temperatures. So we basically grow and we insert gas, we insert different gases okay. into, into this chamber, and uh-huh. they react, and their natural state is to form gallium nitride. I see. We put in dopants of uh-huh. different kinds to change So you've energy. figured out the process. No, but we've figured out how to modify the process. The okay. process was figured out by okay. the EPC. So all right. We figured out how to modify that process. And so the basic, people have all seen the sort of semiconductor circles with all the chips not yep. cut out. So you take a wafer like that mm-hmm. and you're collecting this by using gas. Is it diffusion or? Well, you basically grow different layers. Okay. So you can imagine you're building your house on top of your silicon foundation. Uh-huh. You get, you grow Atomic layers. Yeah, so one one atom thick of gallium or nitride, or is it that together? You start introducing different concentrations, and you gradually go from a pure silicon uh-huh. wafer to like a pure gallium nitride. I see. So you I see. Gradually introduce, and there's, a, there's a, obviously a, a transition, yep. a buffer region. But the real gallium nitride, pure gallium nitride layer, which where all the action of the transistor is a couple of layers of atoms thick. Wow. So it's it's more like a peanut butter sandwich. Okay. All right. I mean, the house house is good, but it's got to have no basement. <laughs> so we, we got the bread, and we start putting peanut butter on, but we're really putting peanut butter and jelly. Mm-hmm. And by the time we get to a certain thickness, it's perfect yeah, mixture of peanut butter and jelly. So you're really in the sandwich-making business. They <laughs> They're very thin. But how can something so thin switch electrons? So what, do you do any other things to them? Well, basically, this gets really technical. Okay. So you can find the layer of gallium nitride mm-hmm. to be so thin. Okay. You form what's called a quantum well. Sounds cool. Okay. Sounds yeah. Really good. <laughs> sounds really good. So if you go into atom-sized dimensions of everything, okay. then you get... Quantum physics starts kicking Really? And you can find a load of carriers into a very, very small space, and you increase the mobility of those carriers. Oh, interesting. That that way they can travel through the semiconductor a lot quicker. I see. But our components are actually called HEMS, High Electron Mobility Transistors. Oh, okay. Because of that. All right, and so then what's the next step? So you've got these wafers, Mm -hmm. and you've succeeded in putting, how many atomic layers are there? Like, I can't really say that. 
Okay, so that's a secret. So it's uh, uh, that's right. So it's more than one and less than a billion or whatever. I don't know. A billion wouldn't probably even show up. But it's an atomic layer, so you've got this sandwich. So then, what do you do? Slice these up and put them in packages. And so basically, you need to put the third electrode. So you uh-huh. put either end of this this very thin layer, mm-hmm. the source and the drain. Okay. Yeah. That's where the in and out. Yeah. Yep. And then you have to have a control. Mm-hmm. Which in this case is called the gate. Mm-hmm. And that right. allows when you open the gate, you allow the electrons to flow from in and out, right. from in to out. Right. And essentially that is a transistor. So okay. The jello, if you like, on the yep. top is the gate. The, the technology with that is there's a lot of physics involved, mm-hmm. technology involved to, to enable that to work correctly. So right. So, sort sort of make it all happen. Yeah. yeah. Now you're saying so then the application of power to that gate can be faster switched faster so in it we're talking very small amounts of time here even a regular transistor mm-hmm. so if you take a silicon transistor and you apply power to the gate mm-hmm. what's the switching time i mean it varies there's a yep. lots of different configurations but i give you the, the limitations mm-hmm. i suppose of the switching time so the switching time is de- is determined by charge you have charge on the gate and yep. charge on the drain and the source okay so if we compare those charges so the more charge you have the more charge you have to move during sure. the switching operation right. so the lower the gate charge or the drain charge or whatever the better the faster you can move it which have less things to move sure okay. so that's basically what determines the switching time of a of a transistor okay transistor. so if we can compare apples with apples a radiation hardened silicon yep. MOSFET which is the silicon answer yeah to a, an enhancement mode, GAN, hemped, our gate charge is an order of magnitude less. Wow. An order of magnitude So now, does this have any application in actually computing technology? Absolutely. Because that tec- that's the point, is we got to get things to switch quickly. So that's cool. Is there a projection in somebody's mind out there for the impact of computers being faster because of this? Absolutely. I mean, you, you've heard of Moore's Law? Yeah. Where... Every, I think it's every 18 months, the, right. the size of electronics reduces by half. Right. So this will actually permit that to continue because silicon has really gotten R- to... We've squeezed to as much as we can out of it. To, you know, fundamental limits. Interesting. So, and on, this is more on the commercial side, not yep. related right. as much to our product, but certainly more on the commercial side. The founder of EPC, Dr. Alex Lido, has predicted that Moore's law will continue. Really? Some of us like to now call it Lido's law. Oh, interesting. So does that mean, and again, I am not holding you to this. Is this five years from now I'll see computers in, in doing this? When am I going to go to the store and buy a computer that's a magnitude faster because of this technology? At this point, I'm not able to tell you that because my world is the power world rather right. than the digital world. Right. So I don't really know how Okay, well, that's fair. How in about in the power supply world? Power supply world, it's here. It's and here. And you will see new products coming out to, to put it in, you know, to yep. directly into people's lives. You'll see that you can actually cut the cord. You can throw away mm-hmm. because you can remote charge most things. You wow. will be able to remote charge most things. So it's not wishful thinking. It's actually oh, happening. No, because yeah, we've heard a lot about wireless charging and all that, but it doesn't work all that well, and it's sort of working, but it's not. So you're saying it's, it's primed for market Absolutely. betterment. I mean, some of the I, I have a Samsung. I have the pad. I've mm-hmm. placed a Samsung. 
So gallium nitride is nice and used in the Samsung or even the Apple right. remote charging things at the moment. But right. it will be in the future. You will have to be and will that, what does that make it? Does it make it charge faster? Charge faster. Further away? Probably. I'm not sure about that. I'm not as familiar yeah. with that technology right. to, to give you, you know, stats and distances mm -hmm. and things like that. But it's certainly faster. It's more efficient. You know, it would enable you to charge higher powers right. rather than just a phone. You can actually run a laptop on a desk. I see. And, and the desk charging it. Interesting. Very cool. Does your organization need help with your IT? Savior Labs is a Boston IT firm that cares for your business and team. We solve problems so you can focus on what you do best. Talk to us today about your biggest technology problems. Just follow the link in the show notes and enter the code EDGE for more information. All right, so now in the space world, so you've got these, there's all these people putting satellites. Is it just satellites or is there, I mean, there's there's a few missions outside of our planet, I would imagine, but majority of it is satellites or is there other yeah, stuff in the space world? Space exploration mm -hmm. Have you made it into any space exploration vehicles yet that you can talk about? Oh, that's really exciting. That's cool. And then do you work with any aliens yet? <laughs> the market there <laughs> the market there is huge, I tell you. That's just incredible. So you guys started this and you're on the North Shore here in Massachusetts. What does that look like over the next three years? How does your company grow? Are you commercialized? Are you shipping? You know, what are the next sort of milestones? So let me go back to when we found it. So okay. We spent a year basically developing our product portfolio, mm -hmm. making sure we had to do a bunch of testing. Mm -hmm. We do radiation testing, we do electrical testing, we do temperature testing, we do all wow. like a plethora of mm -hmm. different kinds of tests. So we, we spent a year, 18 months getting to that point, and that never ends. Right. That's, we have to continue to test, continue to push the boundaries of the technology so that we know where it fails, why it fails, how it fails. And then how to fix it. And how to fix it. Yeah. If you know that, then you can determine the lifetime of, of that. I see. So, but the bulk of that work was done in the first 18 months. Okay. Then we sort of came out of the closet, so to speak, mm -hmm. went public, came out of hiding, so to speak, mm -hmm. after year one, mm -hmm. as I say, at the end of year one, and we presented to the industry at mm -hmm. a conference called uh, SPWG. Okay. Spaceports Working Group. Wow. Over in California. Okay. This is sponsored by the Aerospace Corporation, which is one of the, I would say, like a regulatory body. Okay. Thing. And people there were NASA, European Space Agency, the Japanese Space Agency, and then all of the, the guys that build satellites. I see. So Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop, all of the prime contractors. Okay. There. So we, we came out of that. Was it a surprise to them? There was a lot of interest. Yeah. So is this so I'm a designer in the satellite world. You've just given me new tools I've or new, new parts, solutions. new solutions. I mean this is like okay, I gotta redesign all my power supplies. So well firstly there's there's a lot more work that has to be done before anybody that is remotely involved in space will actually adopt your technology. Okay. Firstly you have to convince them. Bear in mind that the, the technology for space has not changed in 30 years. Right. You know, so there's 
it's in the lunar the lunar landings and, and all the Apollo missions. Yep. So you have to break down resistance to change first in most right. of these companies, and the only way to do that in this space industry, which is extremely cautious industry, well. extremely cautious industry, the only way to do that is with data. So we had to go through our portfolio and we had to test everything. Every single device that we ship goes through an individual screening program. Some parts get tested for 2,000 hours, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, this is a, a part you're going to ship? Oh, yeah. Oh, so it's not just one the sample that no, you're no, doing? No, everything that we ship wow. has been tested 100% at, at various different levels of stringency. Interesting. Okay. So our second major goal was to break down the barriers of, of acceptance mm-hmm. of this new technology into a world that had been dominated by silicon. So it's really marketing. I mean, it's it's marketing with backup, it's but an yeah, but you're you're talking to an engineer, and an engineer isn't going to take that risk without compelling evidence. Yeah, absolutely. Just like absolutely. you're not going to buy the car unless you like it. Absolutely. So you're breaking down those barriers to entry or barriers to integration, I and guess. Essentially, you go through all of the data that they would require, and mm-hmm. then you show them once they're satisfied that you've gotten to a point of reliability that they need. Right. Then you have to show them that the performance is worth it. Okay. So they're not going to put anything that's going to break after, you know, after right. five years. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. So then you've got to show them then the sales mm-hmm. starts. So then you have to differentiate your product with the switching performance or the losses mm-hmm. or, or whatever somebody's specifically interested right. in for their specific design. So at that point, then the sales effort starts to, to communicate all of those differences. Right. So you have to have in your back pocket, one, a bunch of radiation testing, two, a bunch of life testing, reliability right. testing, and then, only then, once they've seen that data and believe that data, can you then start trying to sell the product. Sure, I see. So there's, there's a lot of upfront work, and there's a lot of barriers to entry into this. Yeah, I can imagine. There's a lot of barriers to entry. Into so do you give them samples, or? Wherever we can, we try we, to sell them samples. Well, okay, all right, so. <laughs> We've been known to give a few. So, well, right, but I'm saying, so they're actually trying it and, oh, yeah. and playing with it. It's not like just a piece of paper. I would say, no, no, no. I, most of the major satellite companies in the world have free parts. Oh, interesting. So now you talked about radiation testing and life testing. Mm-hmm. So how do you do life testing? I mean, I, just for the average person, mm-hmm. I, you know, you're not going to be alive in 90 years or 100 years. How do you tell if this is going to... So we do accelerated testing. So okay. basically what we do, we increase temperatures, mm-hmm. increase voltages, whatever is sensitive during the lifetime of a component, and we put more of that than it would normally see. So we try and accelerate the aging process. Okay. So for instance, a very easy example to understand is the temperature. We would test our parts for a thousand hours at a temperature of 150 degrees. Fahrenheit or Celsius? Uh, Celsius. Okay, so that's pretty warm. You're going to have to convert. Yeah, sorry. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while. (laughs) All right. So you leave that on with a bias, so you have your in and you're out, your source right. the drain, so you, you bias the drain mm-hmm. at 80% of its rated voltage, and you leave it on test, continuously energized for 1,000 hours, Okay. eight weeks. Eight weeks, okay, yeah. But the fact that you've done that at temperature allows you with statistics to uh-huh. predict 
an accelerated aging. Okay. So, so you get a lot into statistics. And it's burning. You'd burn your you'd burn it's your fingers. Three hundred and twenty, maybe. Okay, so you'd burn your fingers. But isn't space cold? Space is cold. But so we're not trying to simulate space. We're trying okay. to accelerate the aging process. Uh, I see. So basically, you're stressing the technology. What when about you, freezing tests? Well, when you when you say it's space cold, yeah, it depends where you are. Okay. You have a direct line to the sun, so you're on the, the bright side or the dark side. Right. Of the moon, so okay. When you're on the dark side, you're at minus fifty something. Okay. See. Yep. If you're on the bright side, you may be eighty degrees C. Interesting. So okay. we, we also go through thermal cycles. We, we have a chamber which has a, an elevator, basically a small elevator that goes between an oven and a fridge. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's great. You put, yeah. a, you put a soda in there and you can cool it off really fast. There you go. So you're doing this and you're doing it from, I guess, a compliance level where you're actually testing it, certifying it, and making sure that it's true so that people can track that all back. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.